Welcome to Lockdown the Legacy, stories from the inside out. I'm your host, Remy Jones. And I am co-host, Debbie Jones. We're a husband and wife team here to bring you the real life stories, experiences, and questions around the American criminal justice system. We do advise discretion with this podcast. I think we should put that out there first and foremost. Yes. We are going to talk about experiences that happen inside the prison system, outside of prison systems. Uh, We will use language that might be offensive, but we intend to keep it real. And if that's not for you, we totally understand. But please do what's best for your listening ears. (laughs) Oh, we about to keep it real, son. (laughs) Our goal of this podcast is to share the inside realities of the American prison and criminal justice system from pre-charges all the way to post-release from the voices of those who've experienced it firsthand, including me. That's right. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Uh, This is your host, Remy Jones, and today I am by myself. I do not have any guests today, um, and this is kind of impromptu. I kind of had some stuff on my mind, and it kind of made me feel bad, man. I kind of felt guilty, and so I figured I would talk about it with you guys, you know, because it has a lot to do with the theme of the podcast. Um. But no worries, you know, we will be having more guests. We'll get back to the Summer Legacy Series to wrap that up uh, this coming month. And, of course, you know, I'm going to try to get DJ back on here because I know she's busy, but I love having her. I think you guys do, too. So um, with all that being said, there's something that's been kind of weighing on me. And that something is that um, I do a lot of work, man. I do a lot of work uh, both on the record and off the record and trying to help people, especially people who have um, been to prison before. And, you know, I'm trying to help them find whatever it is that'll work for them to keep them out. Um, You know, I use my own example and a lot of these people are close to me, Um, their friends, their family and stuff like that. And so it's easy to use my story because they know where I came from and they know how far I've come. And yet somehow it feels like that's not enough, like to know somebody close that's going through it too. Um, Somehow people still either feel like it's something they can't accomplish or they feel like, you know, hey, maybe it's just not for them. They don't want to put in that hard work. They don't want to, you know, maybe this life is too boring, you know, whatever it is. Um, But on my end, it's really lonely, you know, (laughs) it's, it's really lonely to have found success and to be um, trying to help other people, but the people that's closest to me are not getting it, you know? And by not getting it, I mean uh, they're going back to prison. Um, So just recently, uh, about three days ago, somebody who once I considered to be a really close friend. Actually, all these people I'm going to talk about today are actually, at some time or another, I considered to be like my best friends. My best friends, which is a big statement. I don't have many friends. <laughs> um, so a few days ago, this guy that I was locked up with, um, we both got sentenced in 2008. 
uh, we both did 10 years. We both got out. We both relocated to Columbus. So a lot of similarities here. Um, and so I had met up with him like one or two times. And I was like, yo, man, dude's not living right at all, man. Like I, I shouldn't be hanging around him. And so I just never came around again. And it was kind of sad that just a year later, um, he was on Crime Stoppers. You know, he was on TV for stabbing a guy. And just a few days ago, he was sentenced. And he was sentenced to 20 to 25 and a half years. And that's really sad because, I mean, this dude was really smart, you know. He was he had a lot of discipline when it came to, you know, self-control and stuff like, you know, he was um he was he would like fast and he would work out like three times a day. Like he would read like crazy amounts of books, you know, like dude was just he was so smart and he had so much potential. So to see somebody that was close to me like that and to extend that help and advice and they not take it, like willfully not take it. And then to see the consequences that came just a year or two later, like that's messed up, man. That's messed up. And he's not the only example like that, you know. Um, another friend I was um, locked up with, you know, he did 11 years and within uh, two years, you know, went back to prison and got seven and a half years. You know, um, another guy, he did 14 years. Um, he's, I've been home five years. He's been back to prison five times in those five years. Um, and no matter what, I'm like, yo, I can help. Like, what's up? And he's like, man, I don't want that shit. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. Like, it's, uh, like even still, after living this um, hard of a life, you know, after bumping your head so many times, it's still like, nah, that way is too hard. I don't want to do that. It's too hard. Like I'm looking for the easy way out. And every time getting caught and not realizing that the problem is the mindset, it's always like, oh, I shouldn't have got this sentence. I should have got this. Oh, they over sentenced me. Oh, they, you know, whatever. And I started feeling like, a bad friend at this point, you know, because with all three of these people that I just mentioned, um, I got nothing to do. Like I've given all the advice I've opened, you know, extended the olive branch, like, yo, come on, I can show you, I can help. And I'm willing to um, like put in on it. You know, I'm willing to help in more ways than just advice. And they just be like, nah, you know, I'm cool. So then I just like, well, we can't hang out, you know, like I got shit to lose now. You know, I've built something. So and, and that's something those are people like. Like, no offense, you know, I, I still got love for them, but I can't have them around my family. You know, I can't have them around the thing that really matters most to me. And not only that, but also by going around hanging out, I can't afford for that one chance to pop up where I come in the car with them, we get pulled over and they got something, you know, on them and we all going down. Cause I gotta be honest, man, I live by a lot of street codes and all that, no snitching, you know, we gonna hold solid. We gonna take it to the box type shit, take it to trial. <laughs> I can't say that I'm with that anymore. You know, um, 
uh, I'm I'm one of those like, yo, that's yours. You better tell them that's yours for <laughs> you know, like and um you know fuck it. That's how it is. I, I I can't say nothing else about it. Like I shouldn't have to snitch in that situation. Like especially knowing them knowing um what I've built and what I have to lose now. Um, but so not only that, you know, this, he didn't got his sentence. Um, I was kind of, um, I was kind of glad to see that he showed remorse at trial. You know, he apologized to the victim's family. Um, it could have been a lot worse, you know, cause we are talking about, uh, a murder case, which just got, you know, my dude, um, Murph, who just got sentenced a couple of days ago. Um, so it could have been a lot worse for him, you know, and I, I'm glad that he chose to apologize. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's it's too little, too late. So I wish that would have never happened. Um, another thing that's kind of weighing on me is uh, one of my old friends who I actually uh, got in trouble with uh, when I was younger. And. You know, it's like this is one of those examples of where the system tries to impose justice but fails everybody, you know, everybody involved. It fails the victim. It fails the uh, whatever, you know, the uh, defendant, you know, the person who committed a crime. And so here, you know, this is a story of an 18-year-old kid who – you know, when I was 18, me and him were like almost inseparable, you know, and we ended up committing some robberies together and we didn't get the same judge. We didn't get listed as co-defendants or anything. And he ended up getting such a worse sentence than me. But at the same time, it comes in where he also didn't have the family support I had. He didn't, he really didn't have anybody, you know. Um, and so he ended up taking a plea deal and his plea deal was actually better than mine originally. But then, you know, they came and was like, Hey man, we think you were involved in this too. And instead of just shutting up <laughs> or, you know, waiting for his lawyer, um, he decided to plead no contest to everything that they were accusing him of. And by doing so, it's basically the same as saying you're guilty. You're saying you're leaving yourself at the mercy of the court to, you know, impose whatever they want. And so they really fucked them around, man. Excuse my word choice. Um, because nobody thought of this as like a continuation of the case that had already went by. Um, they considered it to be a second crime, you know, even though it wasn't, they considered it to be like, oh, he's a, a repeat violent offender, a menace or whatever, which was not the case. And so um, on this second uh, goal at it, they ended up sentencing him. I don't know what it was. I think they gave him like an extra 27 years or something on top of what he already had. And so by this one court case, really, that they decided to split into two, he ended up getting like 30 some, like 35 years or something. It was crazy. 
And here I'm thinking like, man, an 18 year old kid who commits robbery gets 35 years. I literally know people who have committed murders and gotten 15 years or 20 years, you know, and I can easily throw out some, you know, cases. I mean, heck, in the one I just said, um, you know, a guy commits murder and gets 20 to 25 and a half. Guy commits robbery, didn't physically harm anybody in the process, and gets 35. So um, when we talk about unjust sentencing, uh, this is a prime example. And um, to make it even worse, uh, pleading no contest in Ohio is it's pretty much like pleading guilty. Like you can't appeal, you know, when you say you did it, <laughs> like, you know? Um, and there's been attempts to like uh, appeal it or overturn it or withdraw the plea and they've all been denied. So at this point, you know, uh, this all happened back in like 2008, you know, at this point, He's not even halfway finished with the sentence, you know, 15 years later, which is crazy to me. Um, And so once again, uh, I'm not trying to like uh, diminish the responsibility anybody has to take for the crimes they committed or like downplay the severity of the crime. I mean, we were young, we were stupid, Um, which is the case, you know, with a lot of people and uh, lessons need to be taught, but the lesson here is like long gone and lost. When you take somebody that goes in at 18 or 19 and they come home and they're five or six years away from retirement age, like what lesson did you teach anybody? What good did you do to anybody involved? Um, And so now you put somebody in a position to where, like I don't care what anybody says. If you go into prison at 18, and you come home in your 50s, you are not rehabilitated. You can't be. In my mind, it's like you've stripped me of anything that I could have learned, any lesson, because, and this is all just my opinion, you know. When I go, from my experience, when I went in, my first two or three years, man, I was mad. I wasn't ready for any growth. My fourth year, it's like when my eyes kind of open, like, yo, I'm like, we're still fucking up and I can make my situation worse from in prison. So I was like, yo, I got to start moving a little different, which is not easy to do when you don't have examples and the system's not really there to point you in the right direction and give you the opportunities. But let's say you do find out like how and you put in the work and you make that change, right? You can all like, yeah, you, you carry that and you, you implement it for what, five, six, seven, ten years. After 10 years, you're just mad again, all over again. Like, man, fuck them. Like, why don't I get a chance? You see people coming in, going home, coming in, going home, coming in, going home. And in prison, everybody compares cases, you know, oh, what you in here for? What you in here for? You start seeing dudes that, and came in on manslaughter and they going home before you. You just saw them start and finish their sentence. And you start thinking like, man, I ain't even hurt nobody. I ain't even do nothing. You know, like it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's real fucked up. 
And uh, it's hard, like, being out here and having had some attachment to all of these people, man. Um, having seen people go to prison, leave prison, not really get the the lesson involved and go back, you know, and then come home and go back and come home and go back and constantly reaching out like, yo, I can help, but they don't. And then to see people that won't get their chance, you know, or their chance is so far away and there's nothing really I can do to change that. That's hard, you know. It's like being in this situation here, like trying to help people, but knowing that there's some people that just is out of my power to help, like that's hard. And I guess it's one of those things that's like, that's when you got to kind of think of it as a business. Like you can't serve everybody, which once again is hard because I know these people. I know their stories. I know the situations that got them where they are. And so, um, I don't know. That's it's just that's something that's really been weighing on me, and it's really kind of it's kind of a lonely life, man. To be like these are people I grew up with, or these are people that um, you know, I was really close to at some time or another, and I would really love for us to like all come together, take these opportunities, put in the hard work, and make more opportunities not only for ourselves but for other people because collectively, I mean, hell, I got a pretty compelling story myself, but collectively, like, we got a hell of a story, you know, which is why I wanted to do the Legacy Series is because, like, yeah, it's impressive when somebody does it on their own, you know, but when you start highlighting all these stories together of people who have been at the bottom, people that were the worst of the worst, people had, that committed some like really, you know, whether they were caught for it or not, like committed some really fucked up acts and to see them all come together and change and succeed and promote positivity and instill that in other people coming behind them, like collectively that's amazing that's something that can't be ignored ignored you know um so it, it really kind of pains me to be like man these dudes have so much potential and in their stories they have so much potential to impact people and yet you know they got to go the hard way like i love warren to death man and he uh, believe me is more deserving than anybody to be out here. And I'm just glad that he is still taking it upon himself to impact people positively from behind bars. And so, of course, I'm going to do everything that I can to help him do that. And there's many other people that I wish I could, but I can't, you know. But um, really, that's that's really all I wanted to talk about, man. It's because I, I remember, you know, one of the things that I could never do is forget what it feels like to be behind bars. That's one thing I would never allow myself to do because I feel like for some people it is easy when they find success to forget where they came from, you know. Um, but one of the things, that's that's one of the things I'll never forget is like calling everybody on my phone list and nobody answers the phone, you know, <laughs> you know. Um, writing letters to people when they, they never respond or uh, having some, you know, corrections officer tell you 
basically everything about, they dictate everything about your life. You know, when you go to sleep, when you wake up, when you can take a shower, when you can talk on the phone, when you can eat, you know, where you can go, how long you can stay there. Like, (laughs) you know, when you can have a light on, when you can have a light off, they can literally walk up to you and just like strip naked right where you are. And you have to obey that command. Like, I remember that. And so when I think about these guys, you know, um, hell, my, my best friend, Chad, you know, he's he's just um, going back to prison. You know, when I think about these guys, I'm like, that's fucked up, you know, especially once we got out and we had like good times, you know, me and Sherm ride motorcycles up in Cleveland, you know, me and Chad out here, you know, like to know that they're back in there, like that's not living, you know. And um, like I know their families, I know their uh, their passions, and I don't know. I'm I'm kind of just really rambling here. Like this was not really planned, um, but I know what they're capable of, and I'm seeing them back in there, and I can't do nothing about it. So anyway, um, I'm gonna cut this short, man. I'm a, this is just gonna be something that's like hot and and quick, man. This is something that I would love to hear back from uh, my listeners, man. Like, shoot me an email, shoot me a a comment on Facebook, um, whatever. Like, if you got somebody that you know of, like recidivism is a real thing. It's a real problem, and. It's not always one of those like, you know, people are addicted to drugs or people uh, just don't give a fuck. It's really like sometimes people get in their mind that those options aren't available for them, even though they see them right in front of their face. Like, yeah, but that'll never work for me. Um, So I don't know if you're one of those people that have been kind of like struggling or if you're one of those people who know somebody and they're struggling, you know. Like, right in. Um, I'll be more than happy to talk to them, to try to help, uh, to figure out what it is that they're good at and maybe do some job referrals or something. Because really, um, and I'm a true testament to this, like, it only takes a real good opportunity, like a job. You know, once you get a job that actually is capable of providing for you and your family, all of a sudden you start looking at things different. Like, of course you're willing to go back to the streets when you're sitting here making $10 an hour. And at the end of the week, you got 300 bucks. Like, (laughs) like, yeah, I might go back to the street, but really if like somebody gives you that opportunity where you can make good money, stable money, um, and not have to look over your shoulders, all of a sudden you start looking at shit different, you know? So if you guys know somebody, or if you just got a story, like, you know, whatever, like, Drop a line, man. I'd love to hear from you, especially since, like, you know, I'm I'm kind of down right now. So this really might uh, help lift my spirits a little bit, you know. So uh, that's that's pretty much it, man. Um, I don't want to keep you guys too long. Next week I will have the regular episode. So I'm sorry if you were expecting that. And this is a disappointment. But um, I just really kind of wanted to talk about that, like, to um, – it's kind of lonely, man. It's really kind of lonely. And I, I love what I do. I love my family. I love my life. And I really wish that I could give this to other people. You know, 
And if I can, I will. So um, share the message, man. Have people reach out to me. Like I got some advice for a few different industries, you know, that are felon family, um, you know, school, whatever it is they want to do, man. Uh, even if it's just like being in that situation and having to make uh, a different decision than you would normally make, you know, the right decision. Like I can help. All right. So with that, I'm out. I'm going to cut this short. Um, love you all. Thanks for listening, especially all of my uh, dedicated listeners, man. I know I got some some people. Hell, we even, oh, man, listen, when I get to talk about listeners, man, this kind of makes me happy. So we have, like, some dedicated listeners in, like, Germany, uh, Asia. I mean, you know, even here in the States, like uh, Chicago, um, Washington State, like, um we we got listeners in places I've never been that listen regularly. So I really appreciate that. Places that I don't even know people in. And I just see that they listen regularly. So shout out to you guys, man, because that really makes me happy. Um, really trying to um, make some moves to, you know, promote the podcast and, and get it out there a little more. But really, more than anything, man, um, I'm asking you guys that listen to share it. Like if you got Facebook, if you got Instagram, um, if you got LinkedIn, whatever, like we got all those pages, like share the episode, share, uh, links to the page and, um, try to, try to get the listenership up, you know, um, it's doing good. It's got some good organic growth and I'm really happy about that. I'm proud of that. And, um, just trying to keep it going. You know, um, if you guys got any ideas, like suggestions, please let me know. I'm all open. You know, I'm not trying to go at it alone, um, but I do try to uh, spot some opportunities and implement them where I can. All right. So um, once again, for the third time with that, I'm out. Peace. The Lockdown to Legacy podcast is proud to be a part of the Buzzsprout podcast community network. Lockdown to Legacy is recorded at Cohatch in their lovely audio file room. Thanks for your scholarship. Audio engineering is done by our very own Remy Jones. You can reach us with any feedback, questions, comments, or share the love by emailing stories at lockdown, the number two, legacy.com. Stories at lockdown to legacy.com. You can reach out there too for a free sticker. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at Lockdown2Legacy and on Facebook at the Lockdown2Legacy podcast. Thanks for listening.